right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 uh, here shortly. Uh, but did they not do a great job leading us into worship this morning? I mean, yep. Thank you guys so much for being obedient to the Lord. That's uh, the youth praise band there. Those are the guys that help lead worship uh, week in and week out in the back, comprised of college students, leaders, and uh, students in school. And thank you guys so much. Uh, much for that. We greatly appreciate it. I do uh, very, very much. Um, and then last two weeks, did Tommy not do a great job just opening up God's Word and just walking us through the book of James as we continue to uh, trek through uh, James over the last few weeks? Um, and I just want to say, uh, before I really get going, thank you so much for the prayers, um, uh, the, the phone calls, the texts. I know I didn't get back to a lot of people, and I um, am just so thankful to have a church that prays for me and cares for me. Uh, and loves me, um, and luckily for me, God's grace um, for me with, with COVID, it um, didn't have a lot of the symptoms, a lot of just the fatigue, um, and uh, God has given me a very, very good wife who took care of uh, me, so when we say like she's raising four boys, like we mean that, like we've got three little guys and then me, um, and probably the, the biggest baby of them all is the guy standing on the stage, and she um, and the Bible says when you find a good one, is all, is all I got to say, so I can't brag on her enough for just loving on me and taking care of me and, um, and, and all that she has done to nurse me back uh, to health, um, and so I am just very, very uh, grateful there, but I am excited to get back into the book of James uh, as we're going to start in uh, chapter 3 here in a few, few moments, um, but I believe this morning is going to be uh, very, very pointed for all of us in this room. I believe as we walk through these next 12 verses and we just look at what, uh, what God's got to say through uh, James, it's going to be something that's going to hit every single one of us in this place deep within the soul. Uh, I believe, I mean, sometimes you may come in and think, oh, that's maybe for somebody else, maybe not. I, I would argue with you, maybe you missed something, but I just, I believe just to, to lay it all out there right from the get-go that, that God is, is going to use this in a way this morning, or I'm praying that he's going to use this in a way this morning for every single one of us in this room, because I believe from what we're going to gather in God's word this morning is that this, this hits every single one of us. Every single one of us, it's going to address an issue uh, that's going to appear to be a small issue, but it's really what's going to happen is throughout this, as we look at it and as we walk through it, as we uh, even see what Jesus has to say, uh, there's a deeper issue at hand that maybe uh, is just showing itself through a certain way. So I believe it's something that we're all going to struggle with, we're all going to have issues with, and it's our tongue. It's the things that we say and how damaging it can be. And that's what the first 12 verses of chapter 3 is going to deal with. The, the things that we say. I, I had a football coach uh, back in school, and I know why he did this, because he wanted to get us quiet. And it was kind of like our last warning before, um, if you won't be quiet, then there's a track out there, and we'll just run around it all day. And so he would always make this comment, boys, men, got to give you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. Now, I don't find that in the scriptures, but I believe that there is some great, great insight to that statement. And I believe that we'll see that even this morning as we look at what James has to say to us through uh, th- this beautiful, beautiful book. And so this is going to be uh, just, just a, a time, I believe, that God can use to heal us and to bring us about and to mature us and to grow us. Um, the author of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I mean, it seems kind of crazy, does it not? That the author of Proverbs would say that? It sounds, sounds a bit extreme. It sounds a bit much that death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And I don't know about you, but, but as I was studying, as I was reading through this, and I was looking through this, and maybe uh, you can think of in years past, or even just in recent uh, times, just of, of those people who have taken their life because of something that was said to them. I mean, you could research right now the amount of people who have, who have taken their life, not because of chemical imbalance, not because of, of, of issues or things like that, but just because something was said to them. Something was spoken to them in such a way that the result for them would be to end their life, that life is no more worth living. And we hear far too much about that horrific reality in our news, do we not? I mean, we hear far too much of stories like that. It's because words carry weight in people's life. Words carries so much weight, and it can affect someone for a lifetime. That's what the, the author of Proverbs is saying. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Things that we say carry weight and affect people. So James is going to press hard on this reality. James is going to come hard at the believers in this day, and I believe even in our day, and what we say matters. That's what he's going to show. So if, if, there's, if there's one phrase, if there's one thing that you want to take away from this morning, that's the point. What you say matters. What you say carries weight, and words are powerful. So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into James chapter 3. Show me as we pray. Father, uh, we need you this morning again. We beg of you. God, I implore you. uh, Please make your presence known in this place. And Father, I pray that you start with a guy on the stage. God, it's easy to stand up here and it's easy to preach to everybody else. God, knowing good and well that this is a battle that every single one of us in this room fights day in and day out. The things that we say is this little tongue in our mouth that can cause such havoc. And so, Father, as we open up your word, Father, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would press on us. Father, I pray that you would just move in a way to convict and to draw and encourage where that needs to happen. But God, we want to give you freedom in this place this morning to do work. God, God we want to give you freedom to help shape us and mold us all the more into the image of your Son. And so, Father, I, I pray as we've looked last couple weeks, God, with our faith and with our actions, Lord, that this would be one of those areas in our life that we do better. God, God, that we would be known as people who love you ferociously and the things that we say reflect that in an, in an utmost way. So God, do a work in this place, knowing good and well that we haven't arrived yet and that we need help. Jesus, we need you, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so James chapter 3. Here we go. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We'll just walk verse by verse. This is our fall series, and this is what the Word of God says. James pins this and says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So why is that the case? Why would James pin that? Why would he say that? And I believe it's because words matter. I believe because he knows and he understands that the things that we say matter. They make a difference. Stuff happens because of the things that that a teacher would say or a teacher would do or a teacher would model and show and teach. And And so the words that we use either point to truth and bring glory and honor to God or it does the opposite and it points to fallacy and it deters and leads away. That's the only two options. It's either the things that the teacher says, the things that, 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 is, that is proclaimed is, is either going to point people to God or it's either going to deter people from God or it's going to cause people to believe something that's a fallacy that's going to draw them away even more. And so as a teacher, there's a level of influence that is held, is there not? As a teacher, there's a level of influence that is held in someone's life. 
And I believe that's what he's talking about. That your teaching, your words, the things that you say can, 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 can affect someone for a lifetime. Can direct someone for a lifetime. I cannot tell you the amount of people that I've talked to in the past that they're usually their response to is because my preacher said so. Which is never a good biblical argument. I don't give a rip what your preacher says and I'm your preacher. What I give a rip is what God says. In my heart and my hope is that I just echo that of what God says. How can I preach with boldness? How can I preach with clarity? How can I preach with, with such certainty? It's because all I get to do week in and week out, like I am the biggest plagiarism guy you'll ever meet. Just being honest for this morning, right? All I do is I just stand up and say what God says. And I do everything I can to keep my opinion out of it because my opinion doesn't matter. Because those words in the scripture mean something. They have a weight. God has said it. And they mean what God says for them to mean, not what Scott thinks that they should mean. And hear me, they offend me just as they do, as much as they do anybody else. And there are times that I don't like what God has to say. But the great thing about God is he didn't ask my opinion. You know why? Because he doesn't need my opinion. When you can speak the world into existence, you don't need some little uh, fallible uh, weakling who can't even, uh, who was, would get up at 10 o'clock and then like an hour and a half later be, be asleep for two hours. He doesn't need my opinion. He doesn't need your opinion. He doesn't need our opinion. Well, because he's the God of the, he is formed and he is fashioned and he knows how this works. He knows the way things should happen and the way that things should go. And he's created it in such a way, but because of our rebellion and our sin, it has broken it and it has fractured it. And so for me, I get to stand up here and I get to say, thus says the Lord. I just try to echo that of what God has said, what God has proclaimed. And even with that, I understand and I know that there is a weight behind that, that one day I will stand before the throne and he will, he will judge me according to that. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, the amount of people who just blindly follow a pastor. I mean, you even see it in the scriptures, right? Like Paul's out there preaching and this group of people come to him and say, ah, he says, go check and see. You, you go make sure that I'm saying what God says, not what I'm saying, not what I'm making up. I can think of a story. One time I, I was early on in ministry and I had a, a mom that called me. This mom calls me and she's kind of freaking out and she says, God, I need, I need you to get over here, my daughter. And in that moment, I kind of just, I'm like, oh no, uh, I'm worried. Like, what does this mean? Because usually that's not a good conversation that's going to happen or something, is, something horrific has happened. She's like, I need you to get here now. I said, all right, right what's up? <laughs> She says, uh, well, my daughter's got a boyfriend. I said, uh, okay. Um, and she's like, well, well it's, you just need to get here now. And I went against my better judgment, and I went by myself. Mom and dad are there. The daughter's back in the bedroom. And you kind of hear this sobbing, and it's crying in the back. And I said, what's wrong? What's happening? She's got a boyfriend. I said, okay. That boyfriend is an African-American. I said, okay. She said, well, the Bible says, I said, oh, you need to be careful with what you say next whenever you go to quote what the Bible says. It's like, well, 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 our preacher back whenever we were, he said, that's sin and that's wrong and that you'll go to hell. And I'm like, I bit my tongue. And in that moment, I was like, God, God help me say something good here. Um, and I said, well, with the most utmost respect that I can give in this moment, that guy's a fool. And the Bible does not say that. But for the majority of their adult life, 
they had believed that, that, that somebody of this color and somebody of this color, they can't be together. Because God said, I mean, how do we even rationalize, how do we even rationalize that? Is not God the one that creates and makes, that forms and fashions? I mean, I didn't choose that I was going to be a pasty white dude. I mean, trust me, I would have given myself more melatonin if it was up to me. I don't like frying in the summer, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like my, my, my routine is I fry and then I peel. I fry and then, that's it. I mean, I would have at least had some of a stick. I mean, I had no choice in that. And that's what blows my mind, knowing good and well that I can stand on this stage and I can say something and it could, it could, it could impact you for the rest of your life. Thus says the Lord. Knowing good and well it could be wrong. And, and what, what, what James is saying here is that there is a weight to what we say. And brothers, we need to be careful with what we teach and what we proclaim. Because that can impact and affect people for a lifetime, either for the glory of God or against the glory and honor of God. And so he goes on in verse 2 and he says this. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And I just love how the scripture tells us the truth. It doesn't hide. It doesn't uh, try, to, try to doctor things up. It just says, for we all stumble in many ways. Every single one of us, it just sells us out from the beginning, which is just a great reminder of our need for Jesus again. And so what this is saying is that there's not one in this room that has anything apart from Christ. That, that you are nothing apart from the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That you can't by yourself but in him and through him and with his help, you can. But for we all stumble, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So just, just, a, just a quick poll. Anybody say anything this week that you wish you hadn't said? Okay, good, me too. Everybody else is lying, and then God will deal with you there. You, you had a chance. So what we're going to see happen here is this, is he, just, he sells them out from the beginning, and he lets them know and he gets on them, and then he's going to give them some pretty big examples on, on discipline and on taming. And, and just look at what he says in verse 3. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and they are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it will boast on great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And so what we see here is James just said this, is that we can tame animals, we can tame things. There's these huge massive ships that are what? That are directed by just a rudder that, just, that, the, that the, the captain just barely moves or pulls and it, and it directs and you can turn the ship and you can guide the ship or you have this massive, massive animal, this horse that weighs a thousand pounds, muscles bulging, and you put just a little bit in its mouth, what you, just, just the slightest, just the slightest of pull or tug in a direction and that whole horse's body's gone. You want it to go over here, just the slightest little tug, little pull, and that thing goes wherever you want it to go. The smallest of things direct and guide and lead. But our tongue is like a fire. Our tongue we can't tame. I mean, you can tame a stallion, you can tame huge animals. I mean, they've got dolphins nowadays that you, you, can, you can, like, like, it'll do stuff for you. It'll shoot basketball. It'll play fetch. But we can't tame our tongue. We, 
We can't seem to get a control or a hold of the smallest member about us. And hasn't James, James already mentioned this in 119 where he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let, let every person be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Definitely not the day we're living in, is it? It's definitely not the day that we're living in. We're, we're quick to speak, we're slow to hear, and we're, we're just looking and dying for a reason to get angry. Are we not? And James circles back around to this and he lets us know that, that our tongue, I mean, our tongue can set the forest on blaze in a moment. Our tongue man, can destroy and tear down in a moment. See, I, I, just, I think the problem is this, is that we're a people that have been conditioned to hear but not listen. That, that we've been a people that's been conditioned to hear but not listen. And, and even here in James 1.19 where he says, let every person be quick to hear, I believe he means to, to listen and just really take in and understand what's being said because there's a big difference in hearing and listening, is there not? And those of you that are married that are dudes are like, yep, yeah, brother, yep. Yeah. Oh, like just the other day, Mary, I mean, she is ta- she's having a full-blown conversation with me and I am just, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. And then she does that thing. You know what I'm talking about? Scott, what did I say? Well, you know, you just told me. I know I just told you, but what did I just told you? I said, one, that's not good English. I said, you know about that one thing, and then it goes over there, and you didn't, you know. You weren't listening to me, were you? Kind of. I mean, I heard the noise coming out of you. And then I try to do that thing. Well, but you put me in the worst of position. Like the TV's on, boo. You know that like if TV's on, we, this thing just it's not going to happen. And then I try to blame it on her, but it doesn't work because I know that I'm not listening or hearing what she's saying. But is that, is that not a picture of the world we live in? Is, is that not exactly where we're at? We hear, but we don't listen very well. Why? Because listening's hard. Listening is so hard. You have to respond, you have to be present, you have to be aware, you, you have to take in, you have to engage. Having to engage is difficult sometimes because, I mean, I, I, I like me and I don't always want to have to engage or pay attention. I like to just disconnect sometimes. I don't want to have to think. I don't want to have to figure out something else. Is it not so much easier just to disengage, just to let there be noise and not really take in what's being said? I mean, listening is hard it's difficult. We have to look inward and do the difficult work of, of figuring out our heart and our uh, issues. Man, it's so much easier just to spout off and just to talk and to say, man, it's so much easier to just let this tongue run amok, is it not? Oh, that, that's easy. Just to be loud, people will leave you alone. Just to be, just to be hard and they'll, they'll stay away from you. I mean, especially with the day in the world we're living in now, right, where we have a platform and we can pretty much share whatever we want to share whenever we want, however we want. We become experts on everything and really don't know much about anything. I mean, is that not the world we're living in? I mean, you don't even have to have the facts down. You can just, just throw it out there. And if, if it somewhat seems kind of close, then it's okay. And then you just go with it. But what James is saying here is that we have got to guard our tongue. We can't let that little thing control us. We can't let that little thing just spout off and just go and just run amok. It's, it's, like, it's like a small flame. When it gets a hold of the forest, what is it? It sets it all ablaze and it destroys. Man does not words destroy. It does, cannot words just demolish. We'll, we'll get to that here shortly. He goes on in verse 8 and says this. 
He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. I mean, isn't he just like a, just a ball of excitement? Just, just a joy? I mean, I, I don't know what it was like being Jesus' brother, but dude, chill out, right? I mean, my gosh. And, and you think his message is going to continue to get a little bit tougher before he kind of lands somewhere and kind of helps us understand a little bit better? And, but what I want to do is I, I want to press here for a moment because I believe we as the people of God, and especially those of us who, who has made this place our home at New Life, I believe that we need this. I believe we need to hear some of these truths this morning that, that James is talking about. I believe we need to take in and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to just kind of work on us a little bit and, and, and get in those deep crevices of our heart where maybe there's some shadiness and there's some areas there that needs to be, uh, uh, that needs to be exposed and work needs to be done. He goes on in verse 8 and says this, talking about the tongue, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. What a description of such a small instrument in us. A restless evil full of deadly poison. Is that not awful? I mean, think about it for a moment. Restless, it never stops. It doesn't take time off. It's not going to quit. It's constantly looking for. It can't, it, can't just, it can't just be. I mean, that's how James describes the tongue. And it's full of deadly poison. I mean, I mean if, if, if you've got a kid and they come home and say, hey, Dad, I, want, I want this new animal. Cool, cool. Give me a little description about, well, it's restless, it's awful, it's evil, it's full of deadly poison. You're not doing, you know, we're killing that thing. But this is how he describes the tongue. This is how he explains what's going on in our, in our mouth. Verse 9, he goes on and says, With it we bless our Lord and Father. Uh, okay, maybe it's starting to turn a little bit. Maybe, maybe something's happening, something's going on. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Maybe it's not so bad. We can make much of God with what we say. We can bring him glory. We can bring him honor. See, with it we can bless our Lord and our Father. We can, we can tell people of the glorious news of the gospel. Which, by the way, this coming Wednesday night, we've got the core coming up where we want to walk with you and help you understand how to do that at a deeper level. So this Wednesday night, we're going to gather here in this place, have food about 5.15. After food, we're going to get together, we're going to have some worship, and then we're going to jump into God's Word and see what it says about uh, evangelizing and using our tongue for this. How to tell people about Jesus, how to communicate the gospel, how to engage our current culture and our world. And so the tongue's not all bad because with it, like I said, what we bless, we make much of. And the scriptures are even full of that. Listen to some of this positive talk that we can do with our tongue, the things that we can do to, to bless our Lord and Father. The first thing is this, is that words can turn away anger is what Proverbs 15.1 says. A gentle answer turns away anger. Man, when we're, when we're in a moment like that and it starts to get hostile and it starts to get heated and it starts to get kind of out of control, man, what, what a gentle answer can do. I mean, how a loving response can turn the whole conversation. Words can spread knowledge is what Proverbs 15, 7 says. The lips of the wise broadcast knowledge. I mean, how we can spread good news with the tongue. How the things that we say can bring glory and honor. Words can build up others is what Ephesians 4, 29 says. See, Paul tells us to speak in a way that will build others up, that, that it won't tear them down, that it will edify them is what he says. He says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only that's what is good for building up someone in need, is what the Apostle Paul says. And so our words, our tongue can be used for good. Words can bestow grace, is what he says as he finishes Ephesians 4.29. He says, so that it gives grace to those who hear. So our words can be a vehicle for grace, can be a vehicle for mercy, can be a vehicle of, of the greatness of God. 
John MacArthur says this, our graciousness reflects the grace of Christ. He uses our graciousness to draw others into his grace. Words can encourage and comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, encourage one another with these words. What words? With gospel words. With the scriptures. Man, we can encourage one another. We can lift one another up. We can make much of Christ in, in loving and caring for one another. Also in Proverbs 12, 18, it says that the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can heal. And so our, our tongue's not all bad. The things that we say doesn't have to be bad, doesn't have to be all bad or, or to break down. Just like he says there with it, we bless our Lord and Father so we can bless and make much of. But, but is what he says as he continues in verse nine. He says, with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So it's like there's, there's, that, there's that option, there's that choice, is there not? Man, with the things that we say, we don't have to tear down and beat up and break down. No, no, we can be known as men and women who build up and make much of. It's just that we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, so there's negative type of talk, there's that evil type of talk, there's that poison type of talk, that restlessness type of talk that he's talking about. Why? Because words can hurt, can they not? Proverbs 11, 9 says, with his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor. With the things that we say, the ungodly does what destroys his neighbor. I mean, you've heard the little saying, empty sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. So which is not true, is it? It's not the case. Words that people say, I mean, I'm sure that there are scars in this place this morning of men and women who walk in week in and week out. Things that they carry in because of something that was said way back when. Maybe from a parent. Maybe from a friend, so you thought. Maybe from a teacher in school. Maybe from a spouse. I mean, I, I can't imagine the hurt in this room just from something that someone has said to you and the lie that you have believed. The lie that you have believed that has come from someone else's mouth. Words can stir up anger. A harsh word stirs up wrath, Proverbs 15 says. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Harsh words makes tempers flare. Man, don't they? I mean, there are just certain things and we know just in that moment, there's just a certain little button that we can push, a certain little thing that we can say especially to that one that we're closest to, to that one that knows us the best, maybe to a family member. And in that moment, it's just like igniting a match, is it not? And there's gasoline always on that, ready to go. And all you have to do is just drop it with a word. And boom, now we, we've got a full fire going. Words can stir up anger. Words can create conflict. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a, without a gossip, conflict dies down, Proverbs 26, 20. The NIV says it like this, quarrels disappear when gossip stops. I mean, gossip is the fuel that keeps the conflict brewing, does it not? That keeps it burning, is it not? Proverbs 16, 28 says, a contrary person spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. I just want to let that sit there for a second. Because I believe, church, this is something that that all believers everywhere struggles with is gossip. And, and we, we live in a time where we like to kind of categorize certain sin. We kind of like, like, like there's some nasty, nasty stuff out there that's sin and that we would not dare share or talk about. But I mean, gossip's kind of that little cute sin. 
kind of like our little pet in the cage back here that we can, you, can I pull him out for a second? No, yeah, this is a safe place. Let me get him out. Let me, let's play with him and pet him for a moment. Guess what? He knows that nobody else knows. We got to be sanctified with it. I apologize. Well, I've got a few prayer requests. Let me share with you. Yeah. We go down that road real quick, don't we? Or have you heard? Or do you know? And the chances are, if you don't know, there's a reason why you don't know. One question, you probably don't need to. And two, unless you're going to be a godly man or woman and seek the Lord in that and pray about it and keep it between you and him. I mean, gossip is gossip. Gossip is sin. Church, gossip is sin. And what do we do with sin? We allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and draw us to the cross and we repent and we run to him. That's what we do with sin, every sin. I don't care how big or how small we think it is, at the end of the day, sin does what to Jesus? It kills him. Our sin kills Jesus and gossip is sin. See, see the scriptures, they don't provide a definition, a real clear definition of gossip in just one location. <clears throat> Instead, they describe gossip in, in action. And, and intimately, they tie it to, together to the character of the people participating in that sin. That's what the scriptures do. The Bible often uses the word gossip to describe a kind of person more than just a, a pattern of communication. And what you need to know is this, is that gossip is the opposite of gospel. Gossip is the opposite of the gospel. See, in the mouth and the ear of a gossip is a morsel of bad news, not good news. And this bad news is usually a story of someone else's sin or someone else's shame. And what we like to do is keep it going. Why? Because we're so insecure in who we are and what's happening or not happening in our life that it is so much easier to get the attention off of us and put it on someone else. It's so much easier to point out someone else's flaws instead of help pick them up and encourage them in, in what they're good at and what, they're, uh, what God has blessed them in and what God is doing in them. And what we see here from the scriptures is if there was no other sin but on that day, whenever the serpent said, hey, let me tell you a little story. Did you hear about, really hear about Adam? And if Eve would have engaged and dove in and, and gossip would have been the sin that brought the whole thing down, Jesus would still have to die for it. And if there is something that you have so desperately got to say about something that you think you know a lot about, then the one person you tell should always be Jesus and leave it at that. That was a really, really good place for an amen. If there is just something on your heart that is just, oh, you've got to get it out or something that you know about something or something that you've heard, then, then the person you always tell is Jesus and leave it at that and walk away and continue to pray for. Or if you really want to be a godly person, when, whenever that time comes up and you find yourself in a circumstance or a situation and it starts to kind of flare itself a little bit or that fire starts to kind of burn a little bit or, a, or that moment comes out with a, with a little bit of a gossip session. In that moment, do you, if, if you really want to be a godly person, then you say, well, let, let's go get so-and-so and let's find out the truth.
Or let's just stop in this moment. Let's pray for them. Let's really seek the Lord on that. Or, but it, you know, why, why don't we just not talk about it at all? Because us sitting in this room today, or this gathering, or that game, or on the phone, or in our text group, or in our, maybe in that moment, instead of let's continue to like, like get this thing going and let's really find out what's happening, why don't we just give somebody the benefit of the doubt one time? And why don't we care for them and love them enough? to go walk with them and really find out what's really happening instead of beating them in the ground, instead of continuing to help this thing go and share or, or be whatever the case is. And so words can create conflict and church gossip is sin. And man, such a small instrument can set a whole forest ablaze. Words can crush the spirit, is what Proverbs 15.4 says. A devious tongue breaks the spirit, Proverbs 26 says. Uh, uh, say, it says lying is an act of hatred that crushes its victims. The fifth thing that, that, that negative talk can do is it can condemn. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned, Matthew 12.36 and 37 says. And so our words carry weight, do they not? Our words matter. Our words either bring glory to God or they tear God, people down. In verse 10, he goes on and he just says this. He says, for the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so I just want to press us here because for us as the people of God, we had better be known for, for what we say that's uplifting and encouraging much, much more than what we are known for what's tear, what we tear down and how we destroy. And my fear is that there's not much difference between us and the world here. My fear is that we are so good at talking out both sides of our mouth that, that we, we are so gifted. Hear me, that is not a gift, that's a curse. That, that we are so good, that we can package it in this nice, neat bow that we can hide it in a little prayer request or we can hide it in a little post or we can hide it in a little whatever you want to call it. But what we see coming from James today in the book of James is a rebuke to the believers in this day and I believe it's one that needs to be taken serious in our day as well. That is something that needs to be taken serious in our day as well. We'll gather for an hour and we'll say that we love Jesus only to, to leave this place and run someone else's name in the mud. Before we digest our food, did you hear about? Did you know? Well, was, I don't know if it's true. It doesn't matter if it's true. Who cares? I mean, this, oh, this is good stuff. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. James says that this is unacceptable. And I just believe that the church has gained a horrific, horrific reputation in this area. Did you know a few years back, one of, the, one of the leading reasons why people wanted nothing to do with Jesus or the church is because of the people that represent him and go there? Think about that for a moment. I read a story, and, and, and 
I don't know if it was true or not. It was one of those Facebook story things, and I don't ever really, this stuff hold much weight. But I thought, man, the, the principle in this story was just phenomenal. It said that one, one Sunday, a gentleman walked into the church, tattered, tore, whatever, however, smelled funny, all this stuff, didn't know the, all the uh, religious jargon and the Christianese and the ups and the downs. That's, he just didn't know all that stuff, and he was there, and someone approaches him and says, oh, man, you, you, you got to dress this way. You got to be like this. You got to look like this. You got to talk like this. You got to smell like this. You got and, and he leaves, and he leaves that Sunday morning only to run to the bar, and when he goes into the bar, what happens at the bar uh, is, is that the, the bartender pulls, pulls him up a stool and says, hey, man, the first one's on us. Uh, there's somebody else that sees him kind of come in walking and carrying and limping and whatever, and they, they, they pull up a chair next to him, begin to have conversation and love on him and care for him, and, and it says that the man never entered the church again, but he went to the bar for the next 50 years of his life, and he died drunk. Why? Because there was acceptance and love. Not at the one place that it should have been. And I just think how often church is at us. How often we'll curl our nose or we'll say something about somebody. And the reality is, it, it gets back. I mean, it's going to get back. It happens. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. And, and it's damaging. The things that we do with our mouth can destroy and tear down and want people to have nothing to do with the Jesus that we say we love and represent. And that's what James is pressing on here this morning. That's what James is saying this morning. I just, I just remember my mom and dad, my grandma, if you don't have something nice to say, then just don't say anything at all. And if you don't have something nice to say, then what you need to do is you need to be praying. Because as believers, we should have plenty of nice things to say. Should we not? I mean, look at what God's done for us. Look at how gracious he's been for us, thank God. I mean, imagine what you want somebody to say. Imagine what he could say about us. You, you think you're pretty slim, pretty slick, and can hide, and can kind of get through and whiz your way through life and do, do some stuff under the radar and kind of be, be slick about some things. God is all places at all times and aware of all things at, at, at every moment. And he even sees the heart. Let's talk about that for a second. You don't, you don't even have to say it in his presence. He knows. And you'll be judged on that. That's what's crazy. If you're not found in Christ, you'll have to answer for that. The things that you've thought that maybe hasn't even manifested itself out in language. But in that moment, when you thought what you thought, that's just as damning as the words that you say. That's what the scriptures teach. And so what James is saying is, church, it ought not be. I mean, we should be the most encouraging, uplifting place on the planet. Bump Disney World. I mean, they've got rides and stuff, but, but, but there should not be a friendlier and encouraging and loving and accepting place on the planet than in this room right now, this morning at 11.03. But my fear is that it's not. My fear is that we have not done a good job. He goes on and says this in verse 11. <coughs> Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, see, what James is saying is this, is that a true believer doesn't act this way. A true believer doesn't do this. And I don't know if you've picked up on it yet as we've kind of started reading through and we've started walking through, but there, there's this great tension in the book of James. And I believe it's just glaring at us as we read it, as we walk through it. 
I mean, you've got verses like these, like these 12 verses here where, where he kind of ends it with this little tag. Does, does a spring pour forth this or does a, a fig tree do this? No, brothers, no. It can only produce what it is. And so there's this glaring tension that just kind of surrounds us in this moment. And then you have it in, verse, or in chapters 1 and 2, right? Don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Why would someone tell someone not to be deceived? Probably because maybe they're deceived. Why would James say, hey, it can't be this and this? Why? Probably because people think they're this, but they're really not this. And there may be a great number in this congregation that James writes to, to the church, the early church here. That, there may be a great number that profess to be something with their mouth that their heart just has not caught yet. There may be a group that believe that they are something that they really aren't. And their lives don't match up with what they profess. And so what we're going to see in the book of James as he continues on is this whole faith without works is dead. Because you say that you have faith the way that you show me your faith is by your works. So you tell me that you're a Christian, then you should be one of the most uplifting, encouraging people that I know. You tell me that you're a Christian, you should be one of the people that talks the least about anybody. You tell me that you're a Christian, you should be one of the most uh, quiet people out there as it pertains to uh, tearing people down and running people's name in the mud. You, you should be one of the people that, that, that uplifts. Oh man, but you say that about them, but let me tell you what I know about them. I mean, you should be just like a, a golden retriever puppy. Like whenever you come in, like you're telling, oh, 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 yeah, what person are we talking about? You want to bust up gossip and negativity and ridiculousness? You walk into a place and you hear somebody's name dropped, like, oh yes, I know them. It'd be like the elf on Christmas. Oh, Santa, I know him. Well, let me tell you about them. That person, they are the most loving and gracious. Let me tell you what they did for me two weeks ago. Like I was over here doing this and I had a flat tire. And they stopped and they helped me. And, they, and then they even paid for my busted up tire. Why, why can't we be known for stuff like that? Why can't we as the people of God be known for our encouragements of our negativity and tearing people down? Because Lord, there's no reason why people don't want anything to do with the church. There's no reason, there, there, I mean, no wonder why we can't make an impact in this world today. And I'm telling you, it should be the easiest that it's ever been for us to be encouraging and uplifting, church. My gosh, it's awful out there, is it not? I mean, holy cow, I could just say a word right now. and it, I mean, this place would go ablaze. We could go political. We could go medical. We, we could talk about how to raise children. I mean, and it would just blow up in a moment. That's the world we're living in. And we have got great, great opportunity. And hear me, please hear me. I'm not saying we don't tell the truth. We always tell the truth, but there's a loving way to tell the truth. Even hard truth, we can tell loving. But what I'm saying is that we don't participate in the things of this world as the men and women of God. There is a standard and level and expectation of holiness. And sometimes the most holiest thing that we can do is shut up and pray in our heart, God, I want to say, oh, but God, that person, I know, but God. And you walk out and you didn't say a word and you celebrate like crazy what God just did in that moment because you know what you would do. That is growth. And so what I want to do this morning is close by looking at something that Jesus says. 
Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to let us know really about what's happening out here. It really takes place in here. Luke 6.45 says this. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For listen, church, for out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So this little thing is connected to this thing right here. And out of the abundance of this, this thing runs. Jesus says the issue with what we say has to do with our heart. The things that we say are in direct connection with what fills our heart. That's the problem. Why? Because a critical heart does what? It produces a critical tongue. A self-righteous heart produces a judgmental tongue. A bitter heart produces what? A bitter tongue. An ungrateful heart produces what? A grumbling tongue. That's what happens. That's what Jesus says. He tells us the truth. But what happens in a loving heart? A loving heart produces a gracious tongue. A faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart produces a reconciling tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. May we fill our heart with grace by soaking it in God's word. What are you filling it with? Because what you fill it with is going to come out. The more time you spend around Jesus and in his word, the more you're going to talk like him. The more you're going to respond like him. The more you're going to act like him. The more you're going to, even if the person's an idiot, I know, I know, I know, I know, no, no. Even if the things that they say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But man, because I have spent time with the Lord this week and I have let him do a work on me, man, I want to fire off and say some things, but he just won't let me. Oh, I want to fight in that moment, but God just says, be still, my boy. I've got it. See, if we soak our heart in God's word, Matthew 5 is a great place, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 13, Philippians 2. And we've got to be very, very careful taking in words of death. May we pray scripture over what we say as the band comes back up. Psalm 141.3 says this, set a guard Oh, Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, is what the psalmist says. Faith without works is dead. And I believe one of the ways, a sure tell sign of to whom we belong to is how we talk. because it's a direct reflection of what's in here. And what's in here is gonna come out here. As I don't know where you're at this morning, I don't know what God has stirred in your heart, I don't know what he said to you, but what I do know is this, is that, that he wants to draw and he wants to shape and mold you. And the prayer of my heart this week is this, is that God, you would help us, help me, be a direct reflection of what your word says that I would be encouraging, that I would be uplifting, that I would be a guy that is known by what I say and what I say is positive and encouraging. Why, why would I want to wear a badge of being that guy that tears everybody down, that knows all the latest gossip, that knows... Why do I want to be that person? And I want to be the guy that busts up in there. I was like, my gosh. And we, I wish he would just take a chill pill for a second because he's always just so excited. He's just always so encouraging. I mean, who doesn't want that person around? The encouraging guy. The uplifter. You, you don't want negative Nancy around all the time. I don't know if you ever watched that skit. I think Saturday Night Live. I don't watch Saturday Night Live, but I've heard about it. 
Who wants that person around? I don't know. No, we we, we want to be the men and women of God who lift up and encourage and make much of. And the way that we do that is by being plugged into his word. One, we got to be his. we got to be his because there's going to be works that's going to be connected to show our faith and our language is one of those. The things that we say. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning. I don't know what he has convicted you of or what, what he's doing, but man, I want to encourage you. Man, the ground is level at the cross and if you need to come pray, you come pray. Man, if, if you want to take communion, communion's here. If you, if you just need somebody to encourage you, I'll be here if you need to know more about what the gospel means and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Because hear me, you will never be if you're not his. You can try and try and try and try all you want to, but you, you will not accomplish that if you're not his. And so maybe that's the first step for you. I don't know what God stirred, but you be obedient in this moment. Father, we need you. We love you. I pray, God, that, that you would do a work in us, that next year when we sit here in this place and we reflect on all that you've done, one of the things that is said about the men and women who gather here in this place week in and week out is, my gosh, they're the most encouraging people on the planet. They have to love you because, man, the way that they encourage, the way that they uplift, the way that they care for, the way that they share, that just the little things that they whisper into my ear of encouragement. God, help us, help me get to that place and be that guy. Jesus, we need you. And we pray. Amen. You stand. The band's going to lead us this morning.